0: And we are back for an all new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira the Third.
1: I'm Lewis Fertel still.
0: And we are joined by actually don't know how many times she's been on Keep It at yeah. this point. But all Keep It All-Star, Aminatu. So, hello.
2: Hello. I thought you were gonna be like, it's Aminatu, the third. Um, I too would like a number now.
0: <laughs> uh okay you are also uh hosting a new podcast uh called when diana met from cnn i i thought i'd had enough of diana but if it's what coming a good from angle you, what if it's coming angle. from you then that's what i want and also it's um it's something different it's 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 not you know like Diana in torment from um the Queen and her guards. It's like <laughs> Diana meeting folks. You know this is like this is like you know like weekend with Maryland shit.
2: It is Diana was you know it's like her life was very tragic. She died when she was thirty six. just literally my age, and she died with like two kids and like too much baggage and like the family in law from hell. But, um, you know, we're just in this moment where we're really reexamining what women's lives have been and how we're told about them in the media. And even though it's a, you know, Diana content here, (laughs) like everyone, everyone is jumping in. The show is like pretty personal. And, uh, you know, it's just like done. It's just done differently. And we're looking at what we can learn about her life from these like tiny encounters. So, yeah, it's really fun to make.
1: Do you have any particular favorite Diana encounters, ones that would surprise us maybe?
2: I mean, maybe not surprise you, but one that really made me laugh is, and it's the the first episode of the show is when Diana and Camilla met for the first time. and camilla took Mm. her out to lunch in um in london at a restaurant literally called menage a trois like it's two on the nose it's just like two on the like (laughs) that's like the ultimate mean girl camilla
1: playing games right off from the jump yeah you know it's Mm -hmm. like
2: why would you do that and honestly like when i saw it in the crown i was like wow like amazing fiction and then it turns out no no it's like nonfiction. and um It's just, yeah, I, like, that really did make me laugh a lot, but also, you know, it's like, I really changed my mind about Camilla as well. I was like, Charles and Camilla, star-crossed lovers, good for them that they finally found each other. Actually, you know
0: what? I am, I am, like, on this shift where I've been, like, on the Camila train. I'm here for the Camila songs. Cause
2: I will Camila? Say... Is this Camila Cabello? It's my man. All right. I-
0: Camila. <laughs> I will say. Uh, Camila okay. from the real world. Yes. yes Camila. <laughs> I, will, I will say that. Um, first of all, I think of that like um, viral tweet where someone wrote. Um, I don't know who needs to hear this, but that lady's husband is not your man. Uh, <laughs> it's not your soulmate. And someone responded, tell Camila that. And, yeah. as a you know, as a soap opera watcher, I am constantly thinking of, like, the Camila character, like this person in love, like a Charles, in love with this woman. Um, But there's also this other, you know, like, very perfect but also very troubled woman they're already with. You know, like passions would keep them together apart for 15 years but when they finally get together you got to support it
2: i know you know it's like passions the queen of england she like really tried she like she tried her best (laughs) and they were like charles you can't be with this old lady because she's not a virgin and we have like you know we have optics to keep up in this family and so what did he do he married the wrong person and that's awful it's like you know my feeling is when people get divorced you have to send them a cake and like congratulate them because Mm -hmm. guess what that's the best thing you could do for yourself is to not be in an unhappy marriage congratulations
0: elizabeth is alistair crane okay she's alistair crane from passions
2: (laughs) for real (laughs) but i'm like those two were playing to win you know i'm like playing for keeps and it's working
1: During the Free Britney saga, I would see like unhinged gay men take screenshots of awful DMs they sent Jamie Lynn Spears, like about like how she wasn't there for Britney, whatever. And with that kind of thing in mind, with that like extreme fandom at play with these like sort of tabloid stars of the past I am way more sympathetic to Camilla I am like very I I worry about what people probably try to express to her in any given moment of any given day you know as she was like treated like a passions villain Gaiman in the
0: 90s probably like Cutting out um, magazine letters and mailing Camila all the nasty words. No arranged.
2: kidding. Right? <laughs> Original Stan. Um, <laughs> that's what's going on. You know, can we talk about Free Britney for one minute, though? Because I have been really, it's really wild that people who are so, wrong, like, it's like every time I look into the Free Britney movement, people, I'm like, wow, these people are wild and they don't know what they're doing, but they stumbled into something real here.
1: Correct. It's like the rare case where they like nailed it. Yeah,
2: they totally nailed it. I was like, it's mental illness, love, but they're all right. I was like, they were right. Brittany was in bondage. But these people, (laughs) were they the people to make the case? I'm not sure, but it worked out.
0: I mean, it's like watching a teen detective movie or something where you really should be minding your own business, but you're kind of right.
1: Yeah. It's good. Like you you know go what?
0: about it the wrong way, you know, and you are, you know, ignoring what, like, Law enforcement is doing, and you're ignoring actual clues and you're breaking into people's homes and you're accusing like other random people of murder, but you do <laughs> actually stumble upon who committed the crime by the third act.
1: It's exactly rear window. If you've seen when
2: like they're sitting there with binoculars, <laughs> yes. the
1: they're like, I can't believe I'm seeing what I'm seeing. And then the detective's like, You have no idea what's going on in that house. Grace Kelly is dubious at first, and then eventually they're all in on it and loving the caper of it, which feels even mm-hmm. dirtier. But then again, they were right. So,
0: but and you know what? Every free Britney person seems like they um are um, you know, <laughs> as wheelchair bound and
1: <laughs> hiding <laughs> in a house
0: <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> with, yeah, with just their binoculars, yeah,
0: just their, just when their your binoculars. Internet, when your internet goes out, her. Ira,
2: I'm gonna know exactly who did it. When your internet goes out <laughs> and your microphone just like stops working forever. I'm going to know where, you know, it's like, who did you slander? The free Britney community. So we're wrapping this up. We hear them clomping
1: up the steps.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm not going to fall for this. Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) I will just say, like, even as a Britney fan, you know, like a friend would text me and say, do you want to go down to the courthouse? You know, when she was when the conservatorship was about to be ending, because, you know, like everyone was going down there in L.A. And I was like, absolutely not. No. <laughs> what, what part of my personality You are admitting you that on I air, air that you weren't the there
2: with us at the courthouse? You're admitting to everyone that you weren't there with us to show your support? I was Sir. not
0: at the courthouse, okay?
2: Wow.
0: In public? Wow. I don't know. That's where assassinations happen. Outside courthouses, <laughs> okay?
1: Huey Long Wiki it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you two are a mess. A mess. <laughs>
1: uh
0: we're going to be a mess on this episode I'm sure because um first of all we're going to talk about family dynasties because um the Cuomos then got themselves into some mess
1: what a oh fiasco as in I didn't think I was that interested in first and then as it kept getting worse I was like well I guess I have to keep obsessively reading about this wow
2: I mean, fiasco is like actually a really good word because if my sibling got like fired and then got me fired, I would burn our family to the ground. But this family (laughs) is the opposite. They were like, we're jumping off the bridge together because we are wild. (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's just been like. I don't know. It's just also been really disappointing to see how people like how something that is actually a structural issue is being framed as a family issue. You know, being Mm -hmm. like, oh, if my brother were in trouble, I would support him. I want to say that, too. But if my brother was like credibly accused of being a harasser or assaulting women, I'm going to tell you now there is a limit to my love. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and I'm like, I'm not going to lose my reputation and my life over that. And also to, to watch this like family, the Cuomo's, cool who's like very powerful New York family. I'm like, we have bridges named after you fools. Like, come on. Like, you're not like, you're not nobodies. <laughs> to watch them like play the victim and to play this like, we're just like nice brothers who are trying to be cool to each other and everyone's coming after us. It's just been really disgusting to see how that narrative is what's playing out. Not like they're actual Disney villains who are in charge of everything and everyone and abusing their power left and right.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to get into all of that. Um, We're also going to talk about two very wildly different celebrity profiles that came out this weekend, but sort of share a bit of the same themes. Jeremy Strong from Succession and Colton Haynes of Teen Wolf, Arrow fame. Uh, They both have um, profiles out and they are wild reads.
1: I, yes, the Jeremy Strong one in particular, like you hold on to the desk as you read it. Like, you're like, oh, I can't possibly find out another bone chilling detail about this person. Oh, he's standing right behind Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> scream you 6. Daniel Day-Lewis cosplay the whole thing. Yeah, way. right.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway, we uh, do that.
0: It's like the Scream tagline. It's always someone you know.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> really, your co-star. like can I confess yeah. something to you, though? Can I confess something to you? What? I I'm gonna say something really shocking, but I it's okay to be transparent, and we all, you know, it's like it's okay. There's no shame. For years, I thought that Colton Bachelor and Colton Arrow oh. were the same person. Mm. So I was like, I'm like, first of all, there's two white men named Colton. That's shocking. That is just like white names are wild but i thought they were the same person and it was while i was reading um The Colton CW profile, I'm going to just call him Colton CW. It's when I was reading that Colton profile that I was like, oh, this is a different person. This is the one that did the blackface three times. And he's different from the one who had the docuseries about coming out. And so that was like...
1: (laughs) You deserve credit for actually picking them apart now because now Colton CW is doing something about coming out. And Colton Underwood also has the show about coming out. So they've made it most confusing at
0: this moment. But if you want someone with a unique name this episode, I also sit down to talk with Chrishell from Selling Sunset.
2: Love Chrishell, our queen. We get
0: all into what the fuck escrow is. I ask her. (laughs) I ask her about that Oppenheim (laughs) brother she with. So we get into it.
2: Not you, demystifying escrow for the podcast audience. Yeah, whoa. The people want to know. spell it Have out. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right, we'll be right back with Plenty More keeping. If you're looking for movies, television, and comic books to check out this holiday season, then listen to new episodes of X-Ray Vision with Jason Concepcion. This month, Jason will be discussing the new Marvel series Hawkeye, recapping previous Spider-Man movies, and diving into the new Spider-Man film, Spider-Man No Way Home, featuring Lewis's favorite actor, Tom Holland.
1: Oh, you can catch <laughs> you can catch episodes of X-ray Vision every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We thought for our first topic today, we discussed two pieces concerning actors that have hit the web recently. Two of them from um, iconic television series, to be honest, Succession
1: and Teen Wolf. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Always said in the same breath at the Emmys, for sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Listen, stranger things, stranger things have happened. You never know.
0: Truly. Um, But they are Jeremy Strong and Colton Haynes, since Succession just aired um, on Sunday, uh, and there was a little shocking twist. Don't want to spoil it for people, but um, there was a shocking twist involving um, Jeremy Strong's character of Kendall Roy at the end of this week's episode. Let's start talking about Jeremy first. Okay. So Jeremy Strong, the profile, I will say, is fucking
1: fantastic it's by and michael it's- shulman who wrote who, who is like the definitive meryl streep journalist if you he has a book mm-hmm. about meryl streep anyway you know uh grade a
0: new york gay yes and this this is what you want from a celebrity profile right
1: this is the, like this mm-hmm. is what this is what the greats do Well, it's because it's like, not. you actually learned something about Jeremy Strong. And the thrust of it in this piece is that he was growing up one of those actors who was obsessed with great actors. And so he was obsessed with Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, and in particular, Daniel Day-Lewis. And it maps out somewhat ceremoniously. All the ways in which his life then intersected with those people, and the and the piece itself compares his life to all about Eve, and you realize there's no way to write this without comparing it to all about Eve, because he's literally lingering outside their door like Eve Harrington in all about Eve. <laughs>
2: I mean, this profile is really like, you're like, one of you is like, it's fantastic. And the other one of you is like, yeah, yeah. I was like, this profile was unhinged, y'all. Like this is, the whole time I was reading it, I, you know, I just feel that actors have a sense of like, actors have a sense of like, exactly what's going on when they're being profiled in this way. And they're more in control than you think they are. And with Jeremy Strong, I was like, it's the, like the Daniel Day Lewis, like worship, which of course I was like, you know, fabulous actor, like who, like great, great person to worship. But to like allow yourself to come across like one as a stalker and kind of as an original, like an unoriginal, um, I'm going to copy everything he does down to the bow tie when I win my award show. I was really surprised by that. I was like, this feels like a rookie mistake. Like you are not, you're kind of like not your own person. All I'm learning about here is just kind of how, how unhinged you are. The performance was like, it was not giving what I think he thought it was giving That's just just, it, just like, left feeling very rattled. Uh,
1: did, do you think he thought it was coming across as, I'm just a devoted actor, and obviously Daniel Day-Lewis is a great actor, so me admiring him just makes sense? Like, did he think it was going to come across as, 100% like... 100%. Yeah. Th-
2: like, that's what it came across. Like, that's what he was trying to do, because he, you know, like, imagine being like, I love Daniel Day-Lewis, I follow him, he was, like, on my wall, I also, like, did all these jobs to, like, get closer to him... And literally, I'm just, like, mimicking him, but also I'm really discreet, so I'm not going to tell you any of the actual correspondence that we've had, or I'm not going to tell you what we, you know, like, what we've done. And I was like, no, if you were discreet, you <laughs> would, like, mention it in, like, a tiny soundbite and then never bring it up. And then there were also these, like, fantastic moments in the profile where clearly Jeremy Strong was trying to get all of his, like, high-powered, like, you know, other actor pals to talk to um, to talk to Michael Schindler. I,
0: I loved it. I loved it that you know
2: and Michael Schwoman's like it's hard to get in touch with these people because you gotta call their agent then you gotta call their manager then you gotta do all this and he's like but no no but Jeremy Strong will like text them and then Matthew McConaughey is calling me being like yeah he's like really cool like there was just something about how the sausage is made in the profile that made him come across like you know Mm -hmm. like a little desperate a little like power grabby and again it's you know like all of it is perception like I don't know this person at all but I think that like whatever he was performing if he thought that it would be like some like cool mysterious profile I was like no all I made you come across as is like another like thirsty actor which is totally fine um it's like part of how you get work is by being you know it's like you kind of have to be in the world this way and people have to Mm -hmm. know you but it was it was it was really tough to read coming from someone who like thinks that he's really self-aware I was like no you're coming Mm -hmm. across like unhinged right now and I'm loving it but I like I don't know if he's loving it
0: well so I loved it because for what it's engrossing I feel like It was giving me a good, like you said, it's how the sausage is made. It was giving me a good breaking the fourth wall of not just celebrity profiles, but you know, of like celebrity in general. You know, um, the fact that he's just handing over the numbers to Michael. uh, And then you have people like Matthew McConaughey like calling Michael while he's at an ATM. Uh, You have Michelle Williams talking about how he lived in her basement for years. Um, You have uh, Brian Cox on the show. Uh, who we already know has been spilling the tea mm-hmm. everywhere, um, <laughs> recklessly, uh, just being like, you know, like I'm concerned for him, uh, and actually I was concerned and I was a little sympathetic, you know. There's the all about Eve uh, element, but I saw him more as like the um the little J to um Daniel Day Lewis. It's Blair Waldorf. Okay, <laughs> I see wow. him as like really trying to emulate his idol but making a lot of missteps i think if you dig deep into this uh i think damon young tweeted about this a bit like if you dig into like between the lines of this profile you see someone with like severe social anxieties who seems to be only capable of being an actor you know when you read about what his um His life was, like, at school when he was at Yale. You know, he he seemed, like, very alienated from the rest of his classmates, very much like the only thing that keeps me going is focusing on the work. And it actually maybe sort of paints method actors in a different light. Like, maybe it's not just this insane, like, I'm torturing everyone around you for the sake of art. Maybe it's also like, I'm torturing everyone around me because I'm secretly
1: torturing myself. Right, it's a way of functioning. Like you choose an entire identity to be and that gives you something to be, you know. Um, there's like an emptiness, of void but it sounds
2: there. insufferable. Oh no, of course it, it is. Oh, sound,
1: God, so it's uh,
0: just uh, insufferable, but to them, how else are they going to survive? Because the other option is being themselves, um, which seems dark. You know, it's it's a it's a mode of self preservation.
1: But also, I would say yeah. something about the um, other actors commenting on him. The ones that he's like hooked up the profile writer with is all of their quotes are like tentative and not exactly glowing. Like. Brian Cox being like, <laughs> I'm I'm worried about him. It's like that's like the quote you wanted us to get from these people. It's so interesting, like how they all like are ex- seemingly exchanging glances during this profile. Well, he talks about how he in, he's
0: injured himself twice playing right. Kendall, uh, and which the it's it's wild how much he seems just like Kendall because this season on Succession has been Kendall thinking that he is you know the White Knight um saving the world from his evil father and um it blowing up in his face like all of his interviews that he gives you know trying to get a good tweet trying to think that he is like you know like cool and like really in touch with the culture and the backlash against his father and it culminates this fucking week on the show where he's tells his father like you're evil um, while also saying, like, you're evil. I want nothing to do with this family. Cash me out, and you'll never hear from me again. And it's like, baby, where you think that money you want to get cashed out is coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, the it's evil like, daddy. You're, convinced, you're convinced that you're the good one, and your entire life has been predicated on the evil father fixing your mistakes, like the fact that you killed somebody two seasons ago, okay? Like, come on.
2: <laughs> allegedly, Ira, Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you know what I mean. I guess like the the reason that it was a little hard for me to digest that profile, like, or to to have some sort of like sympathy for him, is that like, yeah, it's you're right. It's like there there's this like coming up era where he's like living in the Michelle Williams basement. He's striving. He's doing all the things, and there's a part of me that like respects that. You know, at the end of the day, like successful people are mostly all strivers, and that's fine. But to have him like, you know, I'm like, you're literally at the top of your game. Like you have won these like incredible awards or even in the moments where he's rejected, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, he gets rejected from these roles from his like, you know, beautiful existence in Denmark. I'm like, I'm having a really hard time (laughs) feeling sorry for you right now. But there's something about if you just think about his, his workplace, like succession as his workplace and hearing his other colleagues, like kind of describe their working relationship where I was like, wow, like one person is like, I'm concerned for you. The other one's like, hmm, he, he, seems to think that we're not making a comedy, but I think that we're making a comedy where you really think of him oh, as someone yeah. was so disconnected from the reality of his own success and, like, the fact that he has arrived in Hollywood. There was just something about that that, like, left a really bad taste in my mouth where I was like, listen, I get it. Like, everyone struggles for a while, but if you are, you know, like, if you're... If you're like kind of like off the struggle, having a little bit of awareness of like, OK, like my path was hard, but now here I am and I'm trying to do better things as opposed to just being the, the co-worker that's like, I'm going to jump off of this thing and break my leg for the sake of art. And also I'm an insufferable co-worker is there was just something about that where I was like, this man does not I don't think that he thinks that this this is not doing what he thinks it's supposed to be doing.
1: Well, also, I think a detail that is important to bring up is that when he was at Yale, he, I guess, invented some award to get Al Pacino to come. And it ended up almost, according, according to the piece anyway, almost bankrupting this Yale drama program that sponsored this or whatever. So it's not just that he was obsessed with these idols. It's that... It was it was so driving everything about him that he there's a feeling that he would stop at nothing and then be successful at getting near them. So anyway, there's something extra succession-y about that, just the hard, like gaunt with ambition kind of <laughs> grimness.
0: Well, that's why I describe it as gossip girl. He's like it's the the wacky mad cat part of the episode where you're actually like, I could see that as a Gossip Girl episode, you know? It's like you are part of the Yale Dramatist program. You're nearly bankrupting it, but it all works out in the end, sort of, for you, in a way. Right. But the audience learns yeah, a lesson out- about ambition and what you shouldn't be doing.
2: You know, one part of the profile that was like really fascinating to me that I wish um, they had stayed a little longer on because it kind of connects to the other profile that we want to talk about, the, the Colton profile, was this part about, you know, like Jeremy Strong and... Um, captain america chris evans like being in the same uh you know like they were in in the same like milieu and um you know and he caught like and chris evans like really looking up to him because he's like the talented one kind of in their like massachusetts like cohort and then you know and then he goes on to get a high-powered agent and his career is happening and there's like tiny detail in the profile that's like yeah like hollywood is not kind to people who look like jeremy strong's where it was like oh and to me that was like it it was such a like, that was the moment that I found myself like being really tender actually, where I was like, oh yeah, this industry is like rough. Like it is so, you could be like as talented as fuck, but like it is really, you know, it's like do swipe right or do swipe left. And so much of that is like looks is like looks based Mm -hmm. and how for so many years he like actually like probably didn't work because he didn't have the, you know, whatever we think of as the iconic like American male lead and how that has shifted so much also, but how even like that notion is kind of a scam. There was something about that to me where I was like, oh, I like, This is, like, part of the central pain that is not, like, being fully explored here. And so many of these antics are also, like, you know, because there's so much that you can change about yourself. But, like, fully, like, changing, like, who you are and how you look, which is something that, like, Hollywood asks people to do, like, to do to themselves all the time. I was, like, psychically, that is something that, like, really breaks you.
0: Which also, by the way, side note, painted Chris Evans in such a lovely light, too, because there's that detail where he, he... Immediately when he gets a call from Jeremy, is like, I'm hooking you up with my agent immediately. And then like the I know. agent never calls Jeremy back, you know? But it's mm-hmm. like Chris Evans was like, I look up to you. Of course, you should have an agent like me because I'm I'm hot, you know? And that's why I'm like in not another teen movie, you know, you know, with my little uh whipped cream bra oh, yes. turning the gaze on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um And on that note of Hollywood, you know, like, trans, making you, like, change everything about yourself, that's why I think the um, Colton Haynes um, profile actually had a lot of the same similar themes as um, the Jeremy Strong profile,
1: you know? Uh, And he wrote it himself, I want to say, so it's not technically a profile. But um, the thing about the Colton Haynes thing, so basically he concealed about himself that he was gay because his management – screamed at him to do so. He had sort of intended on being out at least initially. Um, What's weird about this is it confirms what what you think is happening to people like this, which is like, that, wow, you came out suspiciously late or what is your problem with being gay? Like, is it really that much more important for you to be an actor than it is for you to be like out as a person, which feels like, you know, a concept from the Montgomery Clift, Anthony Perkins days or whatever. And you realize people are literally directly saying into these people's ears, you're too fucking Mm -hmm. gay. You move your hands like this. So that's also gay. And so, and they're micromanaging how you get through not just your day, but like moment to moment who you are as a person and saying it interferes with money-making essentially. And that is so clearly debilitating hearing uh, Colton Haynes talk about how he was drug dependent and um, you know, unemployed how it didn't work out for him in in a lot of ways is like so gross. And also exactly what you think. That's what was so heartbreaking about it.
0: Not just that, but those classes the the description of the classes oh, was I think God. the wildest part for me because you you hear the stories. You know like the Brian Singer shit. You know about the parties, you know, where there's just, you know, like young gay men who are just sort of like there hoping, you know, like um, you know, God, I hope I get it, um, mm-hmm. at the pool, you know, um, in like a speedo or something while some like gross executive or agent or manager's there. But the description of an acting class where you have to be naked and act out the scene from monsters ball <laughs> in front of a class is why wi- this is clockwork orange.
2: The wild. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Uh-huh.
2: But you know, like I think like the thing that that both of these pieces like left me thinking about the um the Colton like first account piece to write us on a profile. It's a first account. Um like writing. And and Jeremy Strong is also just like, this is the problem with like workplaces that are not transparent at all. Right. Colton especially like really gets to this where he's like, OK, I met with this guy and he was like, you need these classes and this and this. And he's like, oh, is this guy my manager now? Has he signed me? Like there is there is kind of like no awareness of the relationship that he has with this person. Right. Because... It's like you get to L.A. and then like nobody really tells you like w- like what are the steps that are supposed to happen? It's all like mysterious or whatever. And then he goes to these classes and I was like, none of this is evidence based or even the evidence of like audiences will not go for gay men who play straight men who like play straight men on TV. I'm like, do we actually know that for a fact or do we know that like creepy people just say that behind the scenes and then that's, like, what gets perpetrated, like, across. Exactly and that. It, it just, like, yeah. made me detail. really sad.
0: There's the detail, too, that um, he's in the class with, like, he says, like, he's in, like, the class with um someone who's already on a successful CW show, you know? So yes. it's, like, this person has seemingly, quote, unquote, made it, but they're still in this class. And then there's also the uh, idea that um these men who are telling him that... Um, are saying like you know you can't make it if you're gay or like beating down his mannerisms etc. But they seem to specifically pick young gay men mm-hmm. to foster their careers, knowing that they can then beat them down. They, that that's that's the method, you know. You because if you wanted like a straight leading man, you'd find a straight leading man. You wouldn't keep finding gay men and beating them into straight leading men, men, you know, Like right. or you, you do that because men. you're
2: literally a predator. You know yeah. what I mean? Where I was like, you do that because you're literally a predator or you are a bully or you are trying to destroy someone's spirit. And I was like, how? Like, it's the perfect place to hide if you're like a piece of shit human who wants to exploit someone else. It's the perfect hunting ground. Reading Colton's piece like really left me it left me feeling so sad and so awful and, you know, and he's someone who's like problematic in his own right. I was like, you're like, your Tumblr antics will not go forgotten, you know? <laughs> but there was just like, there was something about like, oh, like here is everything that like makes a person like here is, you know, and, and also like, you know, it's like, we all have the hindsight of like a couple of years. Like I, 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 I for one I'm like very grateful that I'm not who I was when I was 19 or I you know like that's not what I want to be remembered for or I think about like that vulnerability when you're coming up in your career or you're trying to figure it out and I'm not even trying to do something that's as public as those people but it was like really useful context you know and you're like oh yeah like you are trying to move in a world that it doesn't want you really to like move in it but also you are surrounded by predators who will make money off of you if they can if they can and even if they cannot make money off off of you will like still want to extract some sort of value from you
0: I will say that finding like sweeter sides of him over the past years you know have even made me recontextualize you know like I used to make jokes about Colton Hayes we all did you know um in, in the er, in that early era before he came out the jokes were very much in that vein of like why won't this boy come out you' know, making um, the sort of internet jokes that people try to like make about Sean Mendoza now you know um, everything's a cycle but um it's just sad and it's it's a little heartbreaking and it um uh, just makes you feel you know a type of way about not just this it's in every industry you know I mean like we've experienced this uh Amina in the um in the media industry you know like the, the media does this to people in a different way because it's not based on like your body as like capital but it's you know it's like what what else is um, it kind
2: of is it kind of is (laughs) doing
0: things for cheap labor and um even that story recently about the black girl who worked at spotify and created spotify wrapped as an intern and they were like thank you for the idea goodbye bitch
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: great contribution please leave
1: there also was something uh, in in the piece he says specifically my looks were the only thing i ever got validated about growing up and i feel like because of that or it's like that's where these like predatory horrible manager types get off being horrible to you because they assume on some level they're telling you they're hot and that's all the validation you need before they like continue to ruin your life by like making you do things like wear a ripped cowboy shirt as you present papers to somebody's office or whatever that part of the story was. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, like, oh, you're a pe- like treating them like a piece of meat, saying that like, you know, because you're an Abercrombie enough looking guy, that's all the validation you need. Now comes the real work. And it's like, wow, you really are not. There's just no way in, the, in which this person is, is even treated like a human being even once. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like a miserable career he's had.
0: Shout out to growing up unattractive you
1: know uh in high school
0: okay you know uh
2: yeah no growing up black and fat (laughs) is maybe the best thing that ever happened to my self-esteem because there is something about like people not checking for you that also means that you get to be your own weirdo but i don't know it's like when i was like reading this colton thing i was like i would die for like more men talking about like the How the beauty ideal like affects them like across the the like the gender and sexual spectrum because mm-hmm. I do think that it's very instructive for everyone and. And I think that it also, like, it just really lays bare some, like, really shitty, like, societal things that we do to each other. And there was just, like, some, you know, like, there's just something about that that was, like, oh, interesting. I talked like, about this are, briefly
0: um, a couple weeks ago. But, you know, just in, in terms of, like, the Harry Styles uh, profile, in terms of the Harry Styles, you know, like, magazine covers, the idea that um, there's at least some transparent ways that we're trying to attack the beauty industry in terms of like what they do to women you know and you see like a fenty show um, or companies mm-hmm. that are trying to be more inclusive etc uh i was just saying like what we've grown up as men uh it really hasn't changed at all the male beauty industry is still focused on looking like a details magazine cover
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm sticking with my guns on the fact that Harry Styles' style was originated by Katie Lang and perfected them. So just go back to the Katie Lang days to see a slick suit done well.
0: All right. When we're back, I sit down with the queen named after a gas station herself,
2: <laughs> Rochelle
0: Staus from Selling Sunset. And then there'll be more Keep It with Amina after that. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. From selling drama on soaps to selling open concepts and stunning views, today, Keep It welcomes the breakout star of Netflix's Selling Sunset and a friend of mine, Chriselle Staus. Hello! Hi!
3: It finally <laughs> happened! I'm so excited to do this with
0: you today. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny when I think about... Um, how we met first, too. It was, I think it was just Twitter. And it was just because um, we shared um, a mutual friend in Molly Burnett because you were both on Days of Our Lives together.
3: Yes. RIP to your Twitter, by the way,
0: <laughs> which was
3: <laughs> the best feed of all time.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, I want to talk about that first, though, because you went from soaps to, well, a docu soap basically, from all the drama that happens on this. How did you get into soap operas?
3: Well, actually, I mean, that was my goal. Like, even in college, I didn't say I wanted to be an actor. I always said I want to be on a soap just because I would watch the shows. And (laughs) that's why I love that we share, you know, the love for it's just a different You know, I grew up watching these shows, and you know, I just. What did
0: you watch as a kid?
3: So growing up, I watched um, Young and the Restless, and Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was my my mom and grandma's show. And then my mom, my grandma watched Guiding Light. And then in college, I watched Days of Our Lives. So okay,
0: same. My household was like a CBS one, and then I got in the Days of Our Lives on my own.
3: Yeah, and so it was funny when I booked all my children. That was the first one. It was actually one that I hadn't seen. But I was super excited. My mom was like, um, can you get on YNR? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know how it worked. It was very funny. <laughs> I was like, um, sure, I'll just put in the request.
0: <laughs> um, what was it like? Well, so that's so interesting because like when you worked on all my children, uh, was that pre Hulu?
3: Yeah, it was.
0: Yeah. Okay. So before it was canceled. Um I don't think people realize like how different soaps are even now from back when you were on All My Children to, you know, even your current guest on Days of Our Lives, because first of all, the sets are smaller.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the budget has been cut. <laughs> the budget has been cut. When I joined All My Children, it was still, I mean, they still had money. They would throw these crazy parties. Um, and so, you know, I started in 2005 and over the course of, you know, I've even just recently, you know, still like sometimes I'll pop into days and stuff. So it's just kind of changed a lot, but it's still so fun. I still, you know, I I just love, it feels like a little family over there with the different shows. So I don't know. I've always had a a love for, you know, from a kid, you know, those kind of things impact you of what you look up to and those women. And, you know, I was very much the opposite growing up. So I was like, Oh, I want to do that. I want to be, you know, one of those (laughs) girls. So.
0: Well, you're also, like, the first person that I've had, I think, on from who's been, like, a current cast member um, recently on Days. So, like, who were you excited to meet on the show? And then, like, who ended up, like, surprising you as being, like, um, completely not what you expected when you joined?
3: I mean, obviously, you know, Deidre Hall is is an, a soap icon. icon. So, of course, I was <laughs> super excited to meet her and work with her. And, you know, there's, there's people like, um, Christian Alfonso, um, who, you know, I remember seeing, I mean, she's just so that iconic beauty, you know, from the, from that time period and then just getting to see her and she, that's who I would say surprised me the most, because I think Christian Alfonso was just in my head, like one of those women I'm talking about where I'm like, Oh my God, like, she's just so gorgeous. She's so talented and she couldn't possibly be more lovely in real life. And so, Oh,
0: that's so sweet. So she wasn't one of the soap divas you mentioned on this Not season at all.
3: No, <laughs> she was the oh, so the opposite, the most lovely person.
0: That's great. I love that. Uh, it's, it's just nice to have like you as a part of days of our lives. Uh.
3: <laughs> I love it too. I love when you put stuff on your stories. I am always cracking up. So
0: <laughs> I fun. still watch every day, and I have friends who are like they only see the show they remember it from like college or watching it as a kid and they only see it through like my instagram stories though
3: yeah i know i feel like i, I go in and out i've been so busy so lately that's the only way i see it too but i, I uh, always get a good laugh out of your stories with the day stuff
0: <laughs> all right well switching to selling sunset now yes. first of all girl what is escrow
3: Oh my God, this is the funny. <laughs> this is my favorite meme that's come out where it's, you know, Kathy Hilton saying instead of hunky dory. She's like, who is escrow? Um, so escrow <laughs> is a third party that when you are in when you enter into a transaction of okay, I want to buy this house or I want to sell this house, it's the third party that you give the money to in the process, you know, because you have to give a deposit mm-hmm. and then all these things happen. So it's basically like a safe you know, a safekeeper of the money so that, um, you know, you don't want to just hand some guy over that, you know, and then a lot of things could get messy. So escrow is basically the safekeeper of the money.
0: Okay. Okay. I sort of get it. <laughs> I didn't I'll know. Figure it out once I, once it's time to buy a house, <laughs>
3: we've gotten this so many times. It makes me remember, like we should probably be a little more, um, explanatory of, uh, you know, these types of things that I forget.
0: Hmm. Um, I want to ask about shooting the show because, um, I think when we want something like Housewives, right? You see like more of their lives in a way. So you see them like getting into glam, you know, like for dinner and stuff like that. But on Selling Sunset, you're already in glam before you even start filming, right?
3: Oh yeah. They love the, uh, they love the glam. I remember, you know, the first season showing up in like a sensible block heel to, you know, walk a a property that was under construction. And Adam DeBello, our creator was like, Chriselle, do you have any other shoes? And he literally (laughs) sent someone out to like, was trying to find shoes. And I, I I ended up wearing the block heel, but I just knew from that day on, do not ever wear a block heel to set. (laughs) Because, you know, it's like to him, it's a set. But to me, I thought, you know, I really thought it was a show just about real estate and we're realtors and the, and the properties under construction. You know, you, if you watch the show, you've seen there's been a progression of, oh, OK, I get it now. We, it is about yeah. real estate, but, you know, obviously he wants that. You're the your Yeah, that soap element to it.
0: Uh-huh. How was your, like, feeling about being on the show changed from when you first even shot it? Because, uh, like, what was the first season, like, when you first joined and you're like, we don't even know what this show is. And now it's, like, like a global phenomenon.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, when, when I was approached about it, you know, because the Oppenheim Group was all a company all working together, but they approached me to come join it. And so it was one of those things where it was told to me that it's about real estate and we're selling real estate. So, you know, as a side hustle, I was like, Oh, what could go wrong? (laughs) Like, You know? And of course I know it's been super successful and I'm super happy about it, but I just mean, I didn't understand that there was this personal element to to it when I got into it. Um, And so I really just thought, Oh, I have nothing to lose. Like it's about, you know, like I was thinking like an HGTV or like a million dollar Mm. listing so um, I had no idea. So I think that was the the biggest thing that I kind of learned, you know, as we went, you know, what, now, mm-hmm. of course, everyone knows, you know, you know what you're doing when you when you step on to the scene. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was a learning curve.
0: <laughs> well, so I feel so. I Yeah. If you even imagining it was like an HGTV kind of show when you first joined, like, what was it first like when, you know your divorce first started happening, right? You know, was there a conversation with the producers? Like, this is happening in my life. Were they like, we would love if you would share this? Were you like, I don't know, um, like how we approach putting it on TV?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously that was a turning point for me because um, that's not something that I, you know, could even at the time fathom, you know, talking through or sharing. So um, there had to be a lot of conversations before we got there. Um, and they just, you know, went out of their way to make sure that they, you know, made sure that I knew it wasn't going to be sensationalized and like edited to make me look like I'm, you know, and so the because I trusted that they would just, you know, here, here's how I feel and we're not going to try and make it because sometimes that happens and it had happened in the past where something didn't happen that way, and then they edited it a certain way, and you're like, "Oh my god!" So this is one of those situations. Where I was like, "You can't do that," like, you know. Uh-huh. So um, it was, it was a lot of conversations behind the scenes. But I just think, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I hate talking about this because I feel like I've talked about it uh, on end. But I'll just say, uh, you know, and then you, if you don't answer the question, but then if you do, people are like, "Oh, shut up about it." But I just, you know, it's, I. I just lost a lot. So Mm -hmm. of course my initial gut reaction was to walk away, but then am I going to give up the one thing that I, you know, like really proud of and, and I have that can like make sure that I'm going to be okay on my own. So that was kind of what I wrestled with and obviously decided to with their, yeah.
0: Speaking of like sensationalizing, like a relationship, it is, it's funny then that like the season ends with like the big shocking trailer, uh, at, about you and Jason dating and I, w- I what's funny is that like I knew that was coming but when I saw the trailer the way that it was edited like coming up in season five I was like wait did, did someone just die
3: <laughs> I know they
0: really sold like some drama is happening
3: I know I know it, and they give it that movie aspect with the music and the, you know the way it mm-hmm. kind of Um, pops in. So yeah, it was funny because I just assumed at this point, most people knew, you know, it's been out there quite a bit, but you forget Mm -hmm. what a bubble you're in until it goes on Netflix into all these countries. And so many people had no idea and were really shocked by that moment. So I found that really interesting that in my bubble, I thought everybody knew and it was, you know, Netflix is so global, you know, 192 countries, I think. So um it, it that was kind of um interesting to me to to feel like that was like some shocking ending for people that had no idea i was like mm-hmm.
0: oh it's fun. i mean netflix netflix feels like how i felt um but also the internet wants to know like was um was shang chi like flirting with you
3: oh my gosh i mean the
0: internet has been shipping you and shang chi they're like let's get Chriselle in the cin- marvel cinematic universe
3: I I know, actually, I think, um you know, we've laughed about this since because I think they did take a few liberties of how they, you know, mm-hmm. kind of put that together. Um, he's so lovely. And luckily, he thought it was funny, too. But I just feel like I do want to give you a tidbit of behind the scenes on this, because when you okay. watch the show, it looks like the biggest moment was like where I'm like adjusting my shirt. And it's like this thing. It looks like, I guess I'm I'm flirty and he it's like kind of weird. And um. Just so you know, this is what really happened. I don't know if I'm allowed to say, it, but okay. I'm going to. But um, so we're talking. Production comes in and goes, "Krishelle, you need to adjust your shirt." And I looked down. I was like, "Oh," and I and I was like, "I'm sorry," you know. And I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And then you, it's what you see. But just mm. so you know, it wasn't like <laughs> so annoying. But I mean, that's just like a tiny thing. But that just you know, because then it looked like I was like, "Oh." and it just you know we're just we were in the middle of a conversation and they were like hey you know and i was like oh sorry i didn't ever for a million years think that would be in the show or that would then be a like a beat that they used so those Mm -hmm. little things i mean they're harmless um but you know he's um well i don't think he wants me to tell his personal situation but (laughs) i am very very lovely
0: i love that um I want to ask about Adam a bit cuz he produced The Hills first before this show. And um have you gotten any indication from him about sort of like things that he's like fixing that first happened on The Hills that like doesn't want that he doesn't want to happen on Telling Sunset in particular. Listen, we know Christine is the show villain uh, especially this season, but I remember like Heidi on The Hills, right? was sort of in that space too, Heidi and Spencer. But what happened, I feel like, is no one wanted to film with them anymore. And so that, I feel like, made the drama in the show go away later. Have there been conversations with him or just with, like, where you know, like, listen, even if you guys aren't hanging out with Christine outside of the show, you have to at least shoot scenes and be at parties together because like, that's what the audience wants.
3: Yeah. And I think that's what you see on this season. You know, we're only in party scenes um, together um, because, you know, there are just so many, I mean, there were legal situations happening with people on camera, people off camera and it makes it really hard to, you know, when those things aren't being addressed to then, you know, put all that aside and like, You know, uh, because at the end of the day, I think, you know, clearly she's great for the show. Everybody should be Mm -hmm. able to get to a place where, you know, we can just see that and kind of come together. When when things go that route, it, it makes it extremely hard to be like, You know, Mm -hmm. I've been in TV a long time. I've had to work with a lot of people I didn't really care for. So (laughs)
0: um,
3: you know, but it never got to a legal standpoint. And so that that's just kind of really hard to work around. Um, so we'll Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. But it's just, you know, I think obviously it'd be great for the show. I think the fans would love it if we could, you know, I I hear the, you know, I know the feedback from the season was like enough with the drama. And, you know, then it (laughs) it, and then it looks like, you know, it's just crazy. So it just Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate because there's so many things that we can't address or we can't talk about and of course the show wants to play it in a way where they can't play it completely one-sided because that's no fun because they want you to still tune in and feel you know so um Mm -hmm. i think it's one legal things can't be discussed but also you know the show doesn't want to make it too one-sided so
0: of course it's center to tampa
3: I think yeah, I just feel like you know, if, if if hopefully, you know, people have a grasp on, you know, TV and what's good for TV, then I think the of goal course. is to keep things clean. Yes, you can fight and have these stupid arguments, but when things, you know, get lawyers involved and get legal, then it it just it's really it gets ugly and it's hard to recover from. And so yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we were. We were trying to work through that. And it was it was difficult.
0: All right. Um Tell us a bit about becoming an author because you do have a book coming out. Yay,
3: I do. Um, It's called "Under Construction" because living my best life took a little work. Um, I'm (laughs) in my in my new house, but you know it was a which
0: is which is we. I can see it on the Zoom, but also I've been there. Your house is gorgeous. Thank you so much. Thank you. I
3: love it. Um, But yeah, it's just basically you know, it started in COVID just kind of like I was going through some stuff and I was kind of doing a cathartic, just, I mean, also there was literally nothing else to do. Um, And so (laughs) it started that way. And then it just became, you know, this process of like, you know, of course, as we all do, you want to like get back to when you're good and when you're, you know, like ready to take on the world. And I think, um, it was, you know, so it's a process of kind of going through those things and hopefully being able to like inspire other people that feel like, you know, cause it, life is like, you know, you're, it's like ups and downs and craziness. So mm-hmm. I, th- hopefully people will laugh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's some behind the scenes stuff, obviously of the show. And just, I get to go more in depth of things that I just feel like, um, you know, with the show, it's like a highlight reel. So,
0: yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, Oh my God. One last question. Um, did, did, uh, did anyone from Netflix, uh, was anyone from Netflix math when you were, um, shading that movie, the guilty? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you
3: see also, I, I can well, I didn't. if they were, they didn't tell me about it because even on okay. Twitter, I kind of, you know, I did the asterisk just so that when you search the name, it doesn't come <laughs> up. Um, but cause that's the weird thing. It's like, am I still allowed to have, you know, my opinions on different things, you know, on the, th- I
0: get it. Cause I write for, I've like written for like three Netflix shows and I'm currently on one now. And it's like, when you watch a show on Netflix, you're like, well, <laughs> I didn't like this movie. <laughs>
3: yeah. So they, they didn't, they didn't say anything, but you know, I tried to be, you know, you try not to, but it is weird. Cause there's just so many shows and I, At least we were talking about it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. You were ahead of the curve anyway, because then everyone started hating Jake Gyllenhaal the next week once Taylor dropped her album. I (laughs)
3: know. The the, the shade of it all. And then Diane Warwick even, like, jumped in and was like, you give that girl her scarf back. I was dying. But that's the other thing. I think there should be a warning or at least, you know, a thing, a disclaimer at the beginning of anything that was filmed. Like, this was filmed during covid you know, so that we know like it's gonna be in one room, no one's gonna be close to each other. Because that's why we waited to film selling sunset and it took so long to come mm-hmm. out because we just knew that it wouldn't do the show justice if you know we had to film it in that way. So
0: of course. I mean, and I and I think you know, like you you get hints of it when like um Vanessa is like, you know, like um, you know, we're back to open houses now, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. So um also <laughs> have you had these um empanadas and are they good?
3: <laughs> I have, I have to say, they are so good. I mean, the okay. tweets and stuff about them are so funny. But, but, hundred percent, just try it. Put them in the air fryer. They're delicious. And I don't cook, okay. so I always like just pop them in the air fryer. They're really good. But I know I hear you on everybody's like laughing. <laughs> They're really, really good. <laughs>
0: God, I love that. Thank you for being here, Chris. Thank
3: you for having Finally. me. Finally. Yes, yes, I know. I'm so excited to see you.
0: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! Thomas Jefferson wrote to George Washington, um, <laughs> shout out to my favorite slaveholders, uh, in 1786 that a hereditary aristocracy will change the form of our governments from the best to the worst in the world. In honor of a certain CNN anchor proving our founding fathers correct, we thought we'd take a look at the American dynasties poisoning our democracy, economy, and society, but first, baby, what happened, girl? Girl, wh- get the get the Bravo cameras at the um, Christmas dinner this year, okay? Because this this is giving this is this is giving Housewives of New Jersey drama, okay? Your yeah. brother I torpedoed mean, your career, and you went along with so it. It's So
2: sinister, though. It's like it's so sinister the whole thing because, like, as a longtime New Yorker. We have no love for Governor Cuomo, but during the novel coronavirus crisis, this man like transformed into our daddy like every 10 a.m. He's out here giving us information. He's like, here's what's going on. And for a brief moment, some New Yorkers were like, oh, maybe our governor is good. Um, I was not one of those New Yorkers. But still, it was like, there it was truly like you felt the atmosphere change where you were like, oh, like in a world of chaos, like here is someone who is not doing chaos. And there is something like so sinister about finding out that the background of that was that like he was writing a book for, like, millions of dollars, about to go on a book tour. He was lying about, like, the coronavirus numbers. And more importantly, that he was, like, covering up, like, some really serious, like, harassment allegations. And, like, he wrote the harassment laws in New York, so it's not like he doesn't know what he was doing. And I don't know, like, finding that out just made me so angry, like, about the Cuomo governor brother and then you realize that like the CNN one is like in on the scam as well. And it's just like it. these families, it's so frustrating. And you like watch them go from like really the, like the top and they're trying to make you feel like it's all good and cozy and like they take their job seriously. Meanwhile, like all they're in it for is like power and destroying people's lives.
1: Also, I think what is now in perspective for me now is there were a couple viral clips of them talking on various news specials where they're talking about like they're like razzing each other and like talking Mm -hmm. about like the relationship with their mom and like making jokes and stuff. And it's like there was in retrospect, there was a coziness to this on an on an actual news show where it's like, why are we taking in the vaudeville of their personal lives while watching a news show. You know, I think the lines were blurred anyway for us and we liked that initially. And then when we find out, oh, but they're in cahoots, we shouldn't be surprised because we loved that about them, watching that once upon a time. So in a way, it's like, we were fools for finding them charming. Zucker
0: liked that about them. Jeff Zucker liked that about them until it blew up in his face.
2: Mm -hmm. Right, but like, I guess like, I reject that we were fools. I think that if anything, it gets like, You know, like thrown down our throats like we like, of course, if you are, you know, the 9 p.m. anchor at CNN and your brother is a governor during a crisis, you are the first person who has access to your brother. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like that's Mm -hmm. not like as the viewer, like I don't make those rules. But there is just something, like, mm-hmm. so gross about that, like, you know, that performance of just like, oh, this is, like, totally fine. And we're all, like, fighting for mom's lasagna or whatever, you know, where they they do that thing and really obscure the lines for you. But, you know, there is a reason that there are families like this where one person gets to be, like, the governor. The older brother is the governor. The other brother is, like, the highest rated anchor on CNN. And, the, you know, I was like, it's, it's, how, it's what the family was, like, built for. Mm-hmm. And they get to be... Be at the highest echelon of like all of these institutions. And people are none the wiser for it because, you know, like I was like, I certainly don't come from a family like that. Mm-hmm. But this is what in in like American politics and American media. Um, mm-hmm. that was like kind of like my biggest lesson of moving to New York and moving to America in general, as you talk to people, you know, it's like you get to know their job and 9 out of 10 times when it's like oh I wonder how that person has that job you're like oh this is who your father is you know like that's always mm. the answer almost mm-hmm. always in media and that is also almost always the answer in politics so you know it just it really is it's really awful that like that is how that particular sausage is made and um you know and most of the time like mm-hmm. the viewer the consumer is Like doesn't know, but this is how power works in America. Like you have to be the wife of someone, you have to be the son of someone, Mm -hmm. you have to be related to someone, and those are the people that like get all of those Mm -hmm. opportunities. And it makes and everything is like the worse for it.
0: It almost feels like this dynasty, this particular dynasty, was like destined to crash and burn, uh, because I mean Mario Cuomo himself, you know, um, was out here surviving. Assassination attempts in Rome, and deciding to not run for president—you know, it's like a failed stop here. And now, the the brothers have torpedoed themselves as well. And you know, it's like, Chris, you were the hot one.
1: You expected more. I see. I
0: expect I I expect more from pretty people. None of
2: them are the hot one. Take it back. (laughs) Take it back.
0: Uh, I mean, so even this weekend, talking about another um, brother dynasty. Um, you've got Alec Baldwin, who oh, you know, is, it seems like he is. Um, I don't know where the Baldwin name goes anymore because you know you oh, you got which which Baldwin is it? William, the one who's like basically a Republican.
1: No, that's Stephen.
0: Uh, Stephen, okay, that's Stephen, that's it. William. William is the one who was on Gossip Girl, the liberal. We love him. But, yeah. you know, you got Stephen Baldwin. You got Alec Baldwin. What is it? W- like, Like if w- the Baldwins are starting to feel like the Wahlbergs in the sense of, like, please go away.
1: <laughs> well, my, this my favorite dynasty, at least in entertainment, is the Fondas, and I'll tell you why. Well, this shouldn't surprise you. I'm obviously a Jane Fonda-oriented person. But Henry Fonda was such a... Emotion, a, a, a kind of stoic presence in like American cinema and Jane Fonda, I felt afterwards, a lot of her career was responding to that stoniness avidly. And in fact, mm. you get a moment of her, in of course on golden pond talking directly to her father and like begging him to be emotional. And it, she has talked frequently about how that was a, a, a very hard moment. She actually touches his knee and sort of almost breaks down, but she it's the rare dynasty where there are public moments where you see her confronting being in a dynasty, be like, what, what is that? what is having this like magnificent figurehead of a family? What has it done to me personally? What are people invested in? Um, and I mean, there, there are several reasons that Jane Fonda is sort of iconoclastic it, in terms of being a very traditional, all-American-looking um, screen icon. Uh, but that that is one of them.
2: I mean, I find it—maybe it's because, like, I don't know, like, I don't come from this kind of family or it's not appealing. But I think, like, even if I did, even if I was, like, some sort of, like, rich the Hollywood kid or whatever— why would you want to do the same job as your parents? Like, haven't they damaged you enough that you're it is like, interesting. you already know it's like, why would you want to be compared to like the blueprint of you? Like, why would you want to do that? It just, it makes no sense to me. It's like, on one hand, I, I get it. It's like, this is the access that you have in life. So sure. Like you're, um, you know, like they'll help you get a record contract or you'll do it. Like, it's like you have a fast track into a world that like most people don't have a fast track into. But generally I was like, if you're a self-aware person, why would you want to do the job that you're like, why it just, it makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. And there is just something about it that like, you know, sometimes I like get sad for the kids and then other times you're like, okay, maybe like, I don't know. It's like, I think about like Willow Smith for example, And, like, her last, like, the latest album is actually, like, Fire, and it's Mm -hmm. so fun. And there is a part of me that's like, okay, I love hearing Willow sing because, you know, it's like, you read the Will Smith book, and you're like, wow, Will really, like, robbed Jada of her, like, burgeoning, like, goth-like singer career. Mm -hmm. And so there's part of that where it was like, okay, I will allow this, like... Live live out the dream and also like actually very talented and it's fun. But at the same time, I'm like, it must not be like good for your psyche generally to have people constantly like bring up your parents in the same sentence as you. But I would say the Greeks
0: would say that we have always been, you know, ruled by these um, familial lines, you know, and whether or not you're a celebrity or like someone growing up in a powerful family our responses are sort of the same cuz i mean i feel like if you look at the trajectory of people who are quote unquote self-made or you know like people who come from working class families like you know like i feel like personally me mm-hmm. you know um a lot of my trajectory um comes from coming up in a family that y- you you don't want to have the job of your parents right and so like you actually go in the Diametrical opposite position of them um, to try and escape, you know, your circumstances in a way. You know, I feel like the people who aren't that are like people who don't have this sense of like wanting to be within the same industry as their family. It's just because they've seen up close, like that it, it leads to a it leads to a dead end. At least at least in terms of what they want. You know, and
1: also it feels to me like like scions of you know, popular people in entertainment. I think there's something to be learned from the dynamic between Colin Hanks and Chet Hayes. Like both of those people, I feel like are living, they're making decisions in relation to Tom Hanks. Like there's no way you can be Colin Hanks and not have studied, you know, your dad's career or whatever, but also something about Chet Hayes. And I don't mean to get into the plethora of issues surrounding Chet Hayes and his persona, but like he has <laughs> yes, one issue with Chet Hayes, like, pick one. This is a, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, I still feel like a lot of these decisions are because your dad is Tom Hanks. It feels they feel related to me. So, and I, but but here's the thing this is also what's interesting culturally about being part of a dynasty is because you're related to somebody else famous, I always have a reason to remember you. So it's like, you make a decision and that brings me mentally, it reminds me of your dad or it reminds me of your brother or whatever. And it kind of strengthens your celebrity constantly. It's like a self-fulfilling thing.
2: So you're saying that like Eva Amore, Eva Amore, Susan Sarandon, like I'm thinking about that all the time. Yeah,
1: right. There was a uh, awesome, I think Fran Lebowitz quote where she talks about... The 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 children of famous people always say, "Well, it got, helped me get my foot in the door, but then I had to work really hard once I was there." She goes, "Getting your foot in the door is the entire process." Like, if you're in the room, you won. You're already there. Um, I mean, I remember specifically years ago, I interviewed uh, one of my favorites, Angelica Houston. She goes, I thought to be an actress. And literally, this is somebody who was in a movie in the late 60s that her father directed. And it was such a massive flop that she went on a national talk show and apologized to him for her bad performance. And she wasn't in another movie again until the 80s. And (laughs) at at which point she then picked up again, you know, she was uh, with Jack Nicholson, she had plenty of reason to still be famous. She was, you know, a model with Richard Avedon and all these people and then got to act again. Who gets that opportunity? You know, somebody who's still in the picture and then became an Oscar winning actress and a beloved actress. I mean, I think she's great. But it's like to say that you worked and got there when, in fact, there's just a reason you're there to begin with is, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so interesting to me.
2: Right. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. But there is just this like. You know, it's like two American contradictions at work here, where everyone wants you to believe that they, like, work really hard to get what they have, but also it's really nice to be blessed to be born at the right place (laughs) at the right Mm -hmm. time. I was like, listen, like, you shouldn't feel ashamed of, like, how you grow up or who you're born to or whatever, But I think that it does behoove people in public life to be really honest about how their lives are possible, because otherwise all you're selling to other people are like pipe dreams. It's like why you get like Colton's landing in L.A., you know, from like middle of nowhere, Midwest, just being like, oh, my God, with these this big smile and these looks like the minute an agent says hello to me, like my career will be made. And you're like, no, your career is a miracle. It's a literal miracle because you worked really hard and you put yourself in these really shitty situations. And that is not possible for everyone.
0: Well, it's the way we sell it, too, you know? I mean, like, the American tradition is sort of built on this, you know? Like, we think we all, especially from the Midwest, Louis, you know, growing up around, like, working-class Midwest people, we all go to school with someone who then, like, moves back home to work for their dad's, like, roofing business or something, you know? It's like your, your parents are supposed to be there as sort of, like, a guiding light for you, but no one is selling, like, going home and working for the family roofing business as like the entryway into, um, you know, the yellow brick road of America, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, I do actually want to have a small shout out though, um, to something I was thinking about when you brought up Ben Stiller, um, talking about how hard it is, you know, um, for a lot of like the children of celebrities and, you know, like the hard part is getting your foot into the door I actually want to think that maybe they think of it that way because if you grow up the child of a celebrity, you know the children of other celebrities because that's who you grew up with. And maybe they actually just know that they are the one of the ten children of celebrities who actually has a career. Mm -hmm. Because if you're the child of a celebrity, you must know many other children of celebrities who acted in one movie that it never happened again wrote a screenplay didn't get greenlit and you know so many people who actually were not even able to get the foot in the door
1: <laughs> right because because it doesn't work for 100 of kids of celebrities you assume oh it is just you know hard work and uh it's I know, our like, family like, I guess you know like that's,
2: but that's so hard but that's so hard for me you know it's so hard for me to even like a laugh at this because i'm like are you serious Sure. Like you're growing up in a scarcity mentality. Like I hear you. It's like all the profiles of like the canceled girl bosses who are always like, I thought I was poor, but I just we were only like single digit millionaires. We weren't like multiple digit millionaires. So I thought we had nothing. We were like, okay, like whatever. It it just like shows you like how small and insular their world is. And that is also just like really hard for people who at least like grew up in L.A. and New York. I, you know, like, I'm willing to forgive that from, like, someone who does not have, like, an entree into Mm -hmm. the larger world. But I'm like, I'm sorry, if you're growing up as a coastal elite and you don't have a sense of awareness of, like, oh, the world is big and different and people have multiple opportunities, then, again, you know, I'm like, I, like, now I think that you're not smart and Mm -hmm. I refuse to, like, buy into your talent at all because this, it's just... It, it, like, it's so crazy to, like, feel sympathy it's for, like, people like this when mm. they have zero awareness of the world that they're born into at all. It's like you don't even deserve it if you don't know how special it is.
0: Well, I'll leave you with this final note. Is it sad to be privileged and wealthy but creatively unfulfilled?
1: Wow. Mm. I'm trying to think of wow. anybody whose story this is. I'm sure there's a correct answer. Uh Yeah.
0: You know, I'm just, you know, like that's that's the sadness of being the child of a celebrity or dynasty who can't, you know, no one wants to read your play. No one wants if to read your play. If no one wants novel. to read your
2: play and you come from one of these families, please tweet at us. We want to hear from you.
1: <laughs> what
2: There's your a Manelli.
1: Yes. Come reach out to us. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Jason Schwartzman, if you have work out there that like your like family won't get made, please holler at me. Um, mm. I, uh, yeah, I like unapologetically stand for the Coppolas. I was like, this family is wild. I was like, mm. they do everything. I was like, they're out here like, we make wine, we make movies, we make TV, we like, we uh-huh. like. We make Wes Anderson's, like, we're here for you. Um, so, yeah, if there's, like, an unread play, holler at us. Ira will produce it now that he knows what escrow is. He's yeah,
1: yeah. About, he's, he's about to make it. Can, speaking can, of Jason can, Schwartzman. Can theater
2: going to escrow? <laughs>
0: <laughs> My play is an in escrow. Anything can go into escrow, baby.
1: <laughs> speaking, speaking of uh, Talia Shire, please say hi to us. What are you doing? I want to know how you're, you're a two-time Academy Award-nominated woman, and you're the mother of Jason Schwartzman, and I want to know how things are.
2: I know. Jason Schwartzman just get in touch. Get in touch. We like we want to hear all about your family. Get in touch.
0: All right, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode keep it amina i'm going to let you go first what is your keep it this week
2: man my keep it actually made me really i've been like really upset about it on multiple levels so um if you are not familiar with alice siebold she is the author of this Really, really, really popular memoir named Lucky in which she like describes being raped. And then she later tells the police that she saw a black man on the street who she believed was her attacker. Um, A man was like um, named Anthony Broadwater was arrested and convicted. And he spent 16 years in prison for this crime. And when he was released, he was on the sex offender list. And you can, you know, like it's like being in jail, like constantly. Alice Siebel's, like memoir really like for pe- for people who read it and for like when it was published is like one of the like first really prominent accounts of like a, a woman describing what it's like to be sexually assaulted and like, you know, having like the, the havoc that it like does onto your life, you know, and uh, and she chooses to like engage with the the criminal justice system in like the early in the early 80s even in, i i went back and reread the book recently and it was, and it's interesting to like read that book you know like with 2021 goggles um and and see it and you know on one hand there is the like immense amount of like compassion and empathy that you can have for someone who is like telling you about their sexual assault and i think a lot of people are familiar with her other book the lovely bones which was like adapted as a movie and, you know, like very successful. And again, like that engages with that topic. But long story short, when like Lucky is like being made into a movie, a producer on the movie is like, hmm, this script is not really like lining up with uh, like kind of like the story in the book. Like what's going on here? And in doing like his job of producing, he starts having these doubts about like, did this story happen like as this woman said that it happens and he basically gets like fired from that um production because he's like doing too much producing he's asking too many questions and he ends up like hiring a private investigator to like look into like i want to know like did this man like really commit the rape that he was accused of and lo and behold um the private investigator is like nope like that's not what happened this man got convicted on like two things um this like bogus like um, hair analysis. Like anything that's like forensic science is actually not science. It's just like crap science. So like CSI has done like more havoc on our society than we we think it has. And also like the other CS thing he lie. gets accused on is her like <laughs> yeah CSI, CSI. And the other thing he gets accused on is like this woman literally like pointing at him in court being like it was him. This is the black man who like who, who raped me. And you know, and for years he has, like, gone, like, Anthony Broadwater has, like, denied that he was, um, that he ever did this crime. He, in fact, like, didn't get paroled because he refused to, like, admit that he had done the crime. And you can imagine what, like, being on a sex offender registry, like, does to someone's life. And Alice Siebold is now confronted with all this evidence. The, like, Anthony Broadwater has now been exonerated. Like, it's like the, the court has gone back and was like, oh, yeah, we 100% fucked up. And all Anthony Broadwater asked for it was for an apology. He was like, I would like an apology from this woman. And here's a woman who is like a critically acclaimed writer. And the apology is like, like we are writers, so we know, you know, like the apology is she writes it in the passive voice. I'm sorry for what was done to you. Like she was not complicit in what Mm, was done to him.
1: Classic. Um, Mm
2: -hmm. And, you know, and it's not my apology to accept or any of our apologies to accept. And Anthony Broadwater has accepted it. It was his own nightmare. And I'm just like really struck by like the grace that he is extending to this person and the way that he has really like tried to rebuild his life. And Alice Sebold, like I, we all know that something really awful happened to you. Like I am a survivor of sexual assault and I'm just like, I, it's like, I viscerally, like, understand and, like, believe her that this, like, terrible thing happened to her. But in the way that she has, like, handled the aftermath of it all, as someone who's, like, she has made so much money and an entire reputation, like, based on this, like, these two accounts of, you know, like, these Mm -hmm. really, like jarring like um you know like sexual violence that can happen to women i'm just i was so grossed out by that apology i was like this is so lacking you are someone who like knows how to use your words and you are using them here with like violence frankly and you're being very weaselly and and it's just it's just like so shocking to see so to alice Sebold, like fucking keep it um it's terrible like a man's life was ruined and um you know and you can do better like this is not okay
1: The uh, passive voice thing, I think uh, the most classic example of that is mistakes were made. Who said mistakes were made? That's like the classic example of not owning something, using uh, uh, verbiage to cover your tracks.
0: Reagan used the phrase mistakes were made in 1987 discussing, you know, the the Iran-Contra affair.
1: Yes also uh, Ronald or sorry Richard Nixon also used it several times which is among mm. among the most Nixon-y phrases one can say I think.
0: Yeah so it's if you're a writer me. and you are coming out using um Republican president double speak uh maybe <laughs> maybe reexamine yourself. Lewis what is your keep it?
1: My favorite thing to do is to have a keep it that I will I'll soon have to eat my words because he'll uh, eventually be amazing in the role he's just been cast as. But for now, I just don't see it. Keep it to the alleged new Fred Astaire biopic starring Tom Holland. Here's what I think happened. People remember Tom Holland doing that lip sync battle umbrella where he does singing in the rain, which is Gene Kelly, not Fred Astaire. Iconically. Okay, right. Well done.
2: I know. Please give him credit. Yeah. Like, please. <laughs> <laughs> did we maybe fawn
1: a little too hard when he did the Rihanna section? I'm going to say yes. Like, oh, the, the cute straight wow. person doing the Rihanna. I don't know. It was like, it's a it's a B for me. It's a B. But anyway, as Fred Astaire, first of all, Fred Astaire is a very, shall we say, distinct looking man. He is pointy in all sorts of ways that actors are just not now. They He is... Uh, obviously an incredibly talented dancer. Tom Holland, yeah, talented dancer. They don't look a thing alike. Now, I am, at the moment, obsessed with Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos, which is my favorite actress performance of the year. I thought she was amazing. So I'm not saying it's impossible to inhabit the role of somebody you really don't look much like at all. I'm just saying, man, Fred Astaire is... The talent level and and the weirdness of how he looks. I just don't see Tom Holland who is you know, an all-American pretty boy doing the job. I just don't see it. I don't see him as an old-school celebrity. And also I guess we haven't really seen him in many serious roles. I mean, I'm not not to say that Spider-Man isn't serious, but not true-to-life seriousness. So, I'm just in disbelief. I just don't see it. As it's well. not <laughs> Okay, go on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Uh, uh listen, I will also say that for one, you are forgetting because he is Spider-Man and Peter Parker, Tom Holland is an all-American pretty boy. That boy is British.
2: I know. He's very British.
1: Tom Holland facially is like another Tom Daly. You know, like his face is drawn on graph paper. It's 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 perfection. Fred Astaire, meanwhile, has like, you know, something elfin about him. I will say that um I have not seen um
0: tom holland's dramatic works mostly because um every film that he has done aside from spies in disguise shout out um that isn't a marvel movie i actually have no interest in seeing because they're <laughs> usually like weird war movies or like um the devil all the time i was like i don't know what this is baby uh i like and um do we not Sherry, think of billy
2: Elliot as like a dramatic performance yeah but he was a baby I know, but like it's the body of work, baby. Like oh, that's
1: fair. That's
0: gotta, fair. Got to
2: look at the whole man. I do I enjoy the film The
1: Impossible, and I do think he's good in The Impossible, from what I remember. But it's been ages since I've seen it. I think he'll be
0: great as Fred Astaire, and you know what? Um, I don't know. Whoever they cast as Ginger Rogers. <laughs> so yeah, I wonder who that probably be.
2: Nicole Kidman probably.
0: Nicole <laughs> uh, so. Ira, what's your keep it? My keep it is to Alec Baldwin. Oh, but why? Well, there's many reasons. (laughs) Uh, There's always a reason.
2: I was like, which crimes? Which crimes? (laughs) But
0: after we dealt with the um, horrific, um, you know, sort of uh, tragedy that happened um, on the- Oh, Kim Basinger's Oscar. Oh, no. (laughs) We're not doing that again either, Lewis. (laughs) You know how I feel about LA Confidential. And frankly,
1: the disrespect must stop. (laughs) Uh, Mini Driver Hive, where are you? Go ahead.
2: (laughs) Me, Mini Driver (laughs) Hive. The podcast is amazing. Listen to the Mini Driver podcast, it's so good. Mini Driver is the best.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to talk about the shooting on the set of Rust. Uh, which we've already discussed on the show. It was a horrific tragedy, uh, and it killed cinematographer um, Halna Hutchins uh, and wounded the director, um, Joel Souza. The last thing I expected after this tragedy was for an exclusive sit-down with Alec Baldwin, uh, where he says the phrase, someone is responsible for what happened. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me.
2: Baby. Mistakes were made. <laughs> no, it's exactly
1: mistakes were made. It's the same thing. Mistakes
0: were made. <laughs> what are you doing? No one, no one, like, really thought that Alec Bald would, like, put a bullet in this gun and was actually responsible trying to commit a murder, but also with everything that we've heard about the film set, uh, about, you know, the crew walking off about the scabs working, just basically the unsafe conditions of a film that you were starring in. And also a producer on some responsibility needs to be taken for the environment that was created here. And to have a ABC special basically where you're denying any involvement uh, and just like shifting all blame is it's just really wild to me. It's wild that that this was the route that we chose.
1: And he also said that the trigger wasn't pulled. Correct. He It was like, yes, it was a magical gun moment or something. I mean, I just I mean, don't it know is that possible, guns work that It is, way, is possible
2: okay. for, like... It is possible for, like, you know, all of those scenarios. I think that, like, what was really hard for me about that interview is how he, you know... And, like, I get it. Like, he is at the center of this, like, horrible tragedy. But, you know, it's... It, Talk about, like, being selfish and so self-centered. I was like, there is a family that's, like, grieving their loved one. Like, it's not about, you know, it's not about us and, like, the referendum on Alec Baldwin. But I was just, like, the cruelty of, like, imagining her husband or her child, like, watching this interview or just being subjected to, like, every time... Um, you know, Helena Hutchins' name is like, is mentioned, it's like in the same breath as like Alec Baldwin and the story is about him. I was like, that is just like particularly cruel and it's awful. And it's like, well, there is a, there's a way for this process to come out and to like, you know, for her family to get the like kind of closure that they, that they need and that they want, frankly. But the way that he is going about doing it is, you know, it's the most like Alec Baldwin, I am the center of the universe thing. And it's Mm -hmm. disgusting.
0: And it seems to be in direct response, you know, to people on the right capitalizing on this because they hate Alec Baldwin because he hates Trump. And now we're stuck more in this. Well, I need to frame this in my own way and opposite to this. And it's like it's it's just it's just not needed.
2: Yeah. Alec Baldwin will be shocked to know that there are people who do not like Trump and do not like Alec Baldwin, and I am square in the like, center of that Venn diagram. I was like, I don't need either of you, and frankly, I hope that you cancel each other out. Please take them both out.
1: By the way, the George Stephanopoulos interview, just in general, was so softball. It was so like bump set, like setting every question up so that Ella could spike it easily.
2: There was just you know, Like nothing- I'm shocked. He didn't yeah. give him a hug. Yeah. I'm shocked. Mm-hmm. He didn't like, didn't hug him. Mm-hmm. It was so gross.
0: Well, you know, the George Stephanopoulos industrial complex is its own thing to examine. So, you know,
2: or not examine I will not be giving George Stephanopoulos five more seconds of my brain power like absolutely not
0: actually what I think about George Stephanopoulos the most most I think about is like when um, he was a part of like a Friends episode just the plot they kept saying that they could see him across like uh, they thought he was like in the apartment across the street I don't know I don't remember Friends plots that much Um, some white listener um, of the show probably remembers the episode better than I do but
2: i mean american uh, crime story impeachment has some stephan you know like he was very much at the center of like that drama so if you're looking for some like stephanopoulos like a, okay you're like missing that in your tv diet um uh, that's a uh, acs impeachment is for you
0: some stephanopha lore if you will okay. <laughs> and i won't so that's enough <laughs> Uh, anyway, I choose to pretend that Alec Baldwin um, vanished to another dimension after 30 Rock. So, um, thank you to Amina for being here this week. As always. Yes, as always. Love having you on the show. And um, thank you to Chriselle for joining me as well. Uh, and be sure to go listen to When, when Diana Met, dot, dot, dot. Um, I think you'll all love the episode When Diana Met. Ira Madison III. It is juicy. Okay? I bet. Iconic six
2: episode. Iconic <laughs> sixth episode.
0: Okay. Okay. It is me, Diana, a Ouija board, and a lot of Pinot Grigio. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that I can picture. Yeah. <laughs> this oh became grittily God. real just a second ago. Uh,
0: you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll be back with more Keep It next week. Our final episode of the year.
3: Woo.
1: Keep it is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Reston, and our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. That I, Lewis Fertel, do a good job too. Our audio engineers are Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin, and the show is mixed and edited by Charlotte Landis. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week.
2: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves